it was about two months ago that I had to go to a conference in Dayton and my husband was still working evenings at that point so I needed to do something with my three children who are five, four, and soon to be three. And, you know, because the state kind of frowns if you leave it at home, even if you leave a loaf of bread out for them. Um, so we decided that they would go stay with my, um, my brother and sister-in-law. And my, oh my gosh, my brother has been waiting decades for this opportunity. Um, he has been looking forward to having revenge on me for all of the noisy toys that I have visited upon his children and abused him with. And I think if they had moved a couple times in that, you know, his kids growing up, I shared with you last weekend that my nephew is 26, so they've had some years to get rid of the toys. So I almost was worried that he was saving some to return. He didn't, though. So my kids got to go to um, Uncle Steve's and Aunt Michelle's for two and a half days in which they had their weight in popsicles. They went to the pool. They went to the strawberry patch. They went to graders and the play area there. And they had the best two and a half days of their entire lives. And they slept no hours. None. None. But they cannot wait to go back. It was just the glory. So on Friday, when I went to pick them up, and I packed them up in my mom van and proceeded to drive home, it was a little late in the evening. Not that it would have mattered, because again, they've had no sleep. And they've been subsisting on popsicles. The reason for the popsicles was to keep them hydrated. Yes. And so by the time we get home, my youngest is in the midst of a meltdown. And he is not having anything. So I get all three kids in the house, and I tell the oldest, I'm like, go to the bathroom, start the bedtime routine, just go. So he trucks off. So I'm in the living room with my soon-to-be three-year-old who is just not having anything. He's screaming, he's crying. Adam cannot settle down. Emma's just watching this like it's the greatest show on earth. And so I take my son, I sit down on the couch with him, and I start to sing to him. I start to sing, You Are My Sunshine. And at first, he does not want it. He does not like it. He does not care for it. But eventually, he kind of allows it <laughs> to help calm him down. He moves between those right and left brain hemispheres and kind of, whoo, take it down a notch. And then my daughter looks at me, and she's like, Sing to me, Mommy. Oh, so sweet. So I'm having a little concert in my living room. And... After a moment, I hear this from the bathroom. No one's singing to me. No one's singing to me. Oh, it's like, dude, I'm trying to survive here. But I get it. I get that you feel left out of the party. So I, you know, eventually got them all settled down. Hunter got his own little concert, don't worry. And it was just interesting to me to think about, like, this is sometimes how they experience my love, is, you know, I sing to them, and I sing, You Are My Sunshine, and do not have individual songs for each child, because I just don't have the capacity. And because that was a song that my mom sung to me and my brother. And that is how I experienced love from her in one way. And I'm passing it down to my children. And so 
because I received that love from her, I now share it with my kids. And it's just become this like very kind of special thing. And sometimes it's annoying at night because the last thing I want to do is you know, perform. But at the same time, um, it has become these special moments for us. And I think that this is somewhat of what John is trying to convey to us as we have been taking this journey through his letter um, that we call First John. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. And we're going to kind of do a broad overview of it. Um, but I want us to kind of think about what he's trying to convey to these faith communities you know, that he's writing to. And he was writing to them about 2,000 years ago. And yet there's really nothing new under the sun. And so being in chapter 3 today, um, we've been discussing kind of you know, what it is to, to have faith, to trust in God, to know light versus dark. And today, it's kind of digging into the concept of what it is to be identified as God's children and that we are known by our love. We're known by our love. And that John is stressing to this community that love should mirror the love of God, that the love within the community itself should mirror the love of God. And the writer is really imagining the church is a place where God's love is evident through its members. What a novel concept. Yeah, that was sarcasm. Um, but really, this love that should be central in the community should be a unifying force. It should hold them together regardless of differences, um, differences in background, differences in personalities and circumstances, this love should unite them. And it is the love of God that should be uniting them. And so he's reminding us of God's deep love for his children. And that we are children of God not because of ancestry, not because of birth, but because of God's will. Because of his invitation to us to accept his grace. And that this kind of unique identity gives us belonging and it gives us purpose. Knowing that we are deeply loved, like in the core of our identity, we should know that we are deeply loved and cared for by God. And we are chosen, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his great love. So it kind of pushes back against the world in which we live in, right? The world that we live in, the culture that we live in, and I think 2,000 years ago is very same, that we seek validation and acceptance through our achievements and our possessions. And something that's a little different for us today, we seek it through social media. You know, add that one into the mix. We seek sometimes validation through that, through likes and follows and, you know, popularity that way. But when we sit as followers of Christ and we think about what our identity is, it's really as God's beloved children. And that's a really radical alternative to what the world says should be our identity. That our identity to the world should be grounded in achievements and what you have done and what you own and what you wear. And this says, no, it is who loves you. And it grounds us in this profound sense of worth and security because it can't be taken from us. And God's love cannot be removed from us. We can reject it, but it's still out there. It still exists. And encourage us to really find us and find in ourselves this purpose, this value that rests in God 
and this relationship with God rather than external measures of success, which, let's be honest, they can be lost. Your reputation can be shot in a moment. And we see this all the time. You can lose your house, you can lose your job, you can lose it all, but you cannot lose the love of God. And so John is writing to these churches, urging them to be captivated by the profound love of God, to allow this love of God to hold them secure and to recognize always that you are beloved children. Even though you are from very different backgrounds, we are all part of this family with God. So thinking about this as being captivated by God's love, John then encourages them in this captive love, you know, being captivated by God's love, that we are then compelled to love others. So having received and experienced the love of God, then we are to share it by loving others. To kind of express affection and care towards one another, even the annoying ones. You know, just as Jesus himself, you know, he emphasized the significance of loving both God and neighbor. You know, that was something that he said was what the whole Torah, the whole law and the prophets rested on, was loving God and loving others. Like, this was the essence of it. And John is underscoring that because he's saying that for you to be disciples, you will be known by your love. This comes to us actually from John's gospel, not this letter in particular. But he writes, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do you love people the way Jesus has loved you? Do you love people the way Jesus has loved you? That's, that's, a, that's a tough standard. But it is one that we are called to and one that marks us as followers of Jesus. Not a checkbox on a form, not, hey, my t-shirt says I'm a Jesus follower, a Jesus freak. No, it is how we love one another that we're going to be known as Jesus followers. Not our religious ceremonies, not what we attend, but how we love. So we got to talk it and we got to walk it. And this picture of an ideal church community, yes, this is an ideal, but we strive for ideals, right? We work towards them. And this ideal church community is one where mem members are so deeply moved by the love of God that it in turn fuels genuine, selfless love for one another. And that goes beyond mere teaching and preaching. You know, we love to talk a good game. But to actually put action to it, to actually be practical in our love with people, to care for them in real and tangible ways. That's a force that changes the world. You know, I don't know about you, but I see a lot wrong in this world, and I want to see it change. It's only going to change if we are willing to take action, to be a positive force, and this is the central piece of it. And thinking about this, that what John is writing to this community is to channel 
their energies and for us today to channel our energy and resources into acts of kindness and generosity, particularly towards those in need. And those needs look very different for every person. You may not be in financial need, but you may be in need of friendship. You may be in need of care, compassion, kindness. And we should be looking for that in people and how we can meet that need to love them well. And this is how we participate in God's work of love and compassion in this world. And to help explain this, John starts to contrast love and hate. And he's talking about how, love, how hate finds its origin. Hate finds its origin in evil. And he pulls from the Old Testament a story of Cain and Abel. You know, that Cain killed his brother. Definitely hate was there. And hate is defined as selfishly, selfishly seeking harm for another. Selfishly seeking harm for another. That is kind of a definition for hate. But love... Love originates from God. Again, we, we talked about light and dark, and that in God there is no dark. So that means that darkness is the absence of God. Well, God is also love, and from God comes love. So all love originates from God. And this love selflessly seeks the well-being of others. Now, I mentioned social media, and we live in a digital age. And it's kind of interesting to kind of compare real life and the social media life. But the interesting thing is that social media can amplify both love and hate. And it can often show us the extremes in that way. We can see how kind people can be. We can read stories that just make us go, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And then we can see the trolls hating on everybody and anybody. We can see how people rip each other apart. And I think as, as followers of Christ, we are challenged, not only in our daily life, in our real life, as we like to call it, but also that life that we present digitally to cultivate a culture of respect, understanding, and empathy. See, our world is so polarized that that would be so radical to see that. And that we should do that in our personal relationships, face-to-face. And we should be doing that in the virtual world as well. That love should define our actions always. Even when we disagree with them, even when we hold different beliefs, that love should be how we treat them. Doesn't mean we have to agree with them doesn't mean that we have to join them in whatever thing that they're doing, but we have to act kindly and compassionately towards them because that is how we are known as followers of Christ, that we choose love over hate, and in doing so, we actually create or contribute to a more compassionate society and that our actions become a beautiful witness to the transformative power of Christ's love. This is what people look for in us, and sometimes they don't find it. And that's sad to me. See, we've got to not just talk a good game about Jesus. We also have to live it. So do you live it? And John writes in his letter, 
This comes to, from chapter 3, where we are today, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. So this is giving us a definition of love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That is how, life, how love is defined. It is the essence of our faith. God's love for humanity is demonstrated through Jesus laying down his life for us. This act of selflessness defines true love. And the thing is, how we choose to define love will affect how we receive and how we give love. So if we are caught up in that love is a feeling, we are caught up that mm, it's just an emotion and I'm just not feeling it today, that when we don't feel it, we can be tempted to abandon it. We can be tempted to say, oh, crap, it fell out of love. Yeah. The thing is, we don't fall out of love. And we don't fall in love, by the way. We fall in like, we fall in attraction that grows into love. Because you have to know somebody to love them. Love isn't an accident. It's not something we stumble into. It isn't a misstep. Love is always, always a choice. And love, love is action-oriented. So how we define love affects how we receive and extend it. And love here is defined as the selfless act of Christ. So some of us, I think, end up talking a good game. Like we talk about, oh, I would die for my family. I love them so much. Oh, I die for my spouse. I love them so much. I'm willing to die for somebody. And we think, oh, that makes us like Jesus. Partially. But are you willing to live a life of love for people you don't even like? Are you willing to live a life of love for people you don't even like? That is what it is to do this. That is to sacrifice yourself. Not to bodily just give up your life, but totally, wholly, socially, emotionally, mentally give your life for others. In our everyday lives, we have the opportunity to display love through compassion that can lead to action. And it's seeing the needs of others and taking action on them in the best way that you can. That you seek to answer needs, not have indifference towards people or even hate. Or worse off, inaction. Love should be prompting us to actively love others. The call is to really move beyond simply words into living a life that reflects the love of God. And so if the essence of our faith is rooted in this love demonstrated by Jesus, then as followers, we're urged to live out this love through our actions towards others. 
And that's what this verse here, 16, is really hitting home for us. We show compassion. We take action. We serve others as evidence of our spiritual life. And the thing is that John is very clear that loving others is not the means to earn salvation. It is evidence of it. It's not the means to earn salvation. It is evidence of salvation working its way through your life. So we don't do this to earn God's love. We do this to share that which we have received. We are merely mirroring God's love. Now, how do we do this? How do we love like Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but I ain't Jesus. Um, See, we touched on last week a critical piece I think we forget. Because we live in this world that says, oh, love is a feeling, so I don't really feel loving towards people, so I really suck as a Christian. No. You're human. You're limited. You're finite. But you also have, what we talked about last week, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to give us the strength, the capacity to follow God, to love like Jesus. That is what transforms our hearts and inclines us towards selfless love. Rather than sit there and say, oh, I don't feel it, and beat ourselves up and just give up, it is an opportunity for us to look to God to empower us, sometimes in those moments, sometimes just in the course of a relationship. Our inability to love other people, I think, is often a reflection of where we need to experience more of God's love. Our inability to love other people is often a reflection of where we need to experience more of God's love. Not to generate more of God's love, but to experience more of God's love. Dorothy Day was a, an American journalist, and she was um, eventually converted to um, Catholicism. So she had a, a deep Christian faith. And she says this, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Oh, ouch. I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Oh, man. So with our natural tendencies that exist in us, that tend towards anger, that tend towards hatred at times, that can sometimes be very selfish, it is God's supernatural power that will empower us, that will allow us often in those places where we don't feel capable to actually extend care and compassion to people. You know, and I look at my own life and I sometimes think like, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, I'm okay, I'm pretty nice to people, but then I'm in the store behind a slow walker. And this happened to me this week, I'm like literally behind this, this older woman and I'm mad at her. I'm like, move, I got things to do. And it's like, oh my gosh, how selfish am I? Like, seriously, I mean, that's just small, but it torqued me off. How petty is that of me? Like, I should be beyond that by now, 
but I'm not. And I get irritated by my children when they drag out bedtime. I mean, they're experts at this. I don't... These are simple, everyday things where I am reminded again and again where I lack God's love. You know, and, and it comes in all sorts of forms. You know, we have, you know, those people in our life who make life just harder for us. It could be a neighbor. It could be a coworker. It could be a family member that you just dread seeing every holiday. It could be your coworker on vacation sending you pictures like this. No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm glad the Koskis got away, that they're in a beautiful location like San Diego enjoying the beach. But seriously, I need the Holy Spirit daily, sometimes, well, no, hourly, to extend kindness and love. And the thing is, that only comes when I am intentionally seeking God. It comes through prayer, my friends. You know, it comes out in our prayer life. Now, John, as he's writing to this community, he's highlighting that when we align our desires to God's will and trust in him, and that only happens when we are in a rich relationship with God through prayer. And the funny thing is that as we seek to pray more, as we seek to connect with God more through prayer, just really just talking to God and, and listening, that's part of it. You've got to listen. But as we do this, we are changed, and our prayers will begin to change. It's not a guarantee that all our personal requests are going to be met, that they're going to be fulfilled because we pray more. But the thing is, our hearts are going to change. And in a changed heart, our prayers are going to come out differently. We're going to pray for different things because we're going to be more in alignment with God, with more of God's purposes that are rooted in trust, and this is hard for us because we live in a world where there is instant gratification and there are quick fixes. Like this morning, I had to run over to Target really quickly and because I am lazy, I live off Target pickup. I love them. I need to get Christmas cards for the, those guys who bring me my stuff because I'm getting to know them quite well. But I'm getting impatient because they're not bringing my stuff out fast enough. Seriously! What is wrong with me? And I think we do it. Sorry, Jared. The same thing with Amazon. You know, where's my package? I ordered it today. It should be on its way. And we live in a world where we expect instant gratification. We expect fixes to happen right away. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have standards or expectations in this world, but I think this is what fights us when we try to cultivate a life of prayer and to actually deepen our spiritual relationship with God because it's very countercultural. Relationships truly do take time to develop and enrich. But when we trust in God's guidance and we seek his will through prayer, we find purpose, direction, and a sense of peace even in the midst of life's uncertainties. We need God's spirit to truly transform us from the inside out. 
so often we're trying to work from the outside in. We want to work from the inside out. Because truly our faith is supernatural. Not magic. Not summoning a genie. But relying on the power of God in our everyday lives. That when our faith is marked with this trust in Christ and a love that has no human origin, we can't help but be transformed. To be empowered to not only believe in the gospel, but also to live it out and love one another. And live in a way that reflects God's transforming work in us. I think sometimes we make faith hard because we try to do it ourselves. We try to do it all in our own power. We think that is what God is asking for us. No. God is asking us to trust in him, to rely on him, to ask him for the things that we need. And if we need more of him, if we need more of his love in order to love others, he's going to follow through on that. God wants us to succeed and loving others well. And he wants us to empower us to do that. I want us to take this message from John. I want us to examine our hearts. And I want us to find those places where we have indifference towards others, where we may have a hard heart towards others, and I want us to repent of it. And remember, repentance is simply turning towards God. And so take that hardness of heart, take that indifference, and give it to God. Say, God, this is hard for me, but take it from me. Help me love them well. And that will help us as we seek to have a life of love and compassion, because we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what this looks like is praying often, praying often to be captivated by the love of God, and compelled by that love to then love others. That we seek every day, that we pray, God, captivate me with your love, hold me with your love, and empower me with that love to love others the way you love them. This captivation often will happen when we seek to notice what God is already doing. You think about it in your own relationships, that we love each other well when we notice each other, when we pay attention to each other, when we are present to one another. And it's the same with God. To be present to God in every day is to notice what God is doing, to see his love at work in the world, to recognize it, to acknowledge it. Because in doing so, it will develop our capacity not only to love God, but then to love others. And I have a recommendation for a prayer for you if you want to love others well. And it's one that comes, one from Scripture, but is also stolen from an author who saw this in the Scripture. And Sean and Iquist just put this beautifully, and I want to share it with you. And it's almost thinking about, like, prayer as a recipe. And so this recipe for praying for others, it comes to us from the Gospel of John, and it's when Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he prays these four things for them. He prays that they will have union, they will have protection, they will have joy, and they will have sanctification. Now, each of those, union, 
is having that connection, that sense of community, having a sense that people have your back. Jesus wanted that for his disciples, and I think praying that for other people is powerful, especially if you don't like them. Then to also pray for their protection, to keep them safe, to keep them safe in bodies and mind. And then joy, that they would experience the beauty and the delight in this life. And sanctification, which is really a big church word for growing in love for God and neighbor. Sanctification is that process in which we start to look more and more like Jesus in our everyday lives. And so I encourage you maybe to take this as a prayer recipe or formula for praying for other people, especially if you find, like, I have a really hard time with this person. It may be that coworker, it may be that neighbor, it may be that family member, it may be that friend with whom you have a rupture in relationship with. Now, this will not magically change your relationship with that person, but it will change your heart. You can count on it. Because when we invite the Holy Spirit into these moments with us, we cannot help but be transformed. And you are also welcome to make this your own style. You don't have to use these literal words. Maybe you start that way, and that's the beauty of a recipe. You kind of start with the recipe, and then you make it your own. So maybe you're praying for friendships. Maybe you're praying that they have a safe trip. Maybe you're praying that they have a moment in their day where they just laugh out loud. Maybe you have a moment for them to be kind to other people. This is a beautiful prayer for not only people we love, but also everyone else. This becomes for us as we seek to be captivated and compelled by the love of God. A beautiful roadmap for a meaningful and transformed life that is centered on love, centered on the righteousness of God, and a faith in Jesus that is confident. So today as we prepare for communion, I want to give you a question to reflect on that may help you grow in your love of God. Again, this is going back to what it is to notice, to take note of what God is doing. Because when we do that, we are actually seeing the presence of God at work in our lives. And so this question for you is, where have you seen the love of Christ recently? Where have you seen the love of Christ recently? I want you to take a moment to think about this as we prepare for communion. Maybe even when you are coming for communion or maybe when you sit back down. Take a moment to think about this. Maybe even grab a prayer card and write down what comes to mind. That could be a joy to share with others, a way to inspire others with the love of God. Now, I also want to share with you, if you're feeling particularly bold, you could use that phone number I gave you earlier to text in your answer. And I promise you I will not share them without your permission if I like one. But it may be an opportunity for you to share the love of God from what you have experienced. May we all be inspired by each other to love well because we see the love of God in each other. So as we prepare for communion, I want us to reflect, where have you seen the love of Christ recently? Allow it to captivate you with the love of God so that you may be compelled 
by the beauty of it to love others well. Let me pray for us. Gracious Lord, allow us to be captivated by your love. Allow us to have full union with you, connection to you, a sense of community that strengthens us. God, protect us. Keep us safe. Keep us safe in body, mind, and spirit. God, allow us to experience the beauty and the delight every day, the joy that comes truly from you. And God, allow us to grow in love for you and love for others. Allow us to extend kindness and compassion to everyone who crosses our path. Let us seek out people to care for as well. Open our eyes to what is around us, to you and to others. We ask this in the powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.